everyone. It is wonderful to see you all. Yes, we are continuing our series in uh, Respectable Sins, Neglected Virtues, thinking about how to keep living as followers uh, of Jesus and how to keep putting off these sins in our lives. So I'm looking forward to talking about the tongue with you. Uh, and as Marcus said, we're going to have a Q&A afterwards, so it's just a time of, to ask any questions that you have. Also to just share anything that you've been encouraged or that God's been teaching you from uh, either Romans or this part of uh, this kind of topical series in uh, Respectable Sins. So do, um, do jot them down and uh, a little later on we'll have a time and you can share them then. It'd be nice to hear from you or any questions kind of just on the idea of uh, how we are saved and sanctification and all those kinds of things. It would be interesting to have that time together. But why don't I pray and then we'll turn to our topic for this evening Heavenly Father, be with us now. Challenge us all from your word about how we use our tongues and how we can honour you with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, there's uh, many things that you could do in uh, talking about the tongue, but I thought we would begin by uh, beginning with a a classic piece of Greek wisdom from Aesop. Uh, known Aesop's fables. I don't know if you've heard of Aesop's fables. Aesop brought us such great tales as The Boy Who Cried Wolf and uh, The Hare and the Tortoise. Um, And uh, this is a story from his biography. It's doubtful that it happened. It may have, but it's a story about a a dinner party and Aesop is is a servant of of his Greek master. Aesop's the servant and he's asked to hold a great dinner party. And so let me begin by sharing with you this wonderful story, and I'll I'll kind of paraphrase it as I go through. So Aesop's master invited a large company to dinner, and Aesop was ordered to arrange a great feast with the choicest delicacies that money could buy. The first course consisted of tongues, uh, pig tongues. They were served on sauce, uh, and the guests were amused uh, and enjoyed it. The second course, however, like the first, was also nothing but tongues, as was the third and the fourth. The fun had run dry. The people were outraged, and Aesop's master demanded of him, didn't I tell you, servant, to provide the best that money could buy? Aesop replied, what excels the tongue? Surely it is the best. It is the great channel of learning and philosophy by The tongue uh, addresses, eulogies, speeches are made, commerce, business, contracts, marriages, completely established by the tongue. Nothing is equal to it. And the guests applauded Aesop's wisdom and humour, and the party's good humour and good vibes were restored. You'll be glad to know. The party went on. The guests applauded. Well, said the master to the guest, do me the favour of dining with me tomorrow. And he turned to Aesop and he said, Aesop, if this is your best, tomorrow let us have some of the worst meat that you can find. And so the next day, when dinner time came, the guests were assembled and great was their astonishment and great the anger of the master at finding that again, nothing but tongues was put on the table. How, sir? said the master, should tongues be the best of meat one day and the worst another? Aesop replied, what can be worse than the tongue? What wickedness is there under the sun that does not have a part in it? 
Treasons, violence, injustice and fraud are debated, resolved upon and communicated by the tongue. It is the ruin of empires, cities and of private friendships. The company were more struck than ever by Aesop's ingenuity and successfully begged the master to forgive him. And there you have it. From uh, 500 BC, the wisdom of Aesop, a great tale from the Greeks. And Aesop is surely right, isn't he, to say that the tongue is the very best and yet also the very worst that we have. Likewise, scripture has much to say about the good and the bad of the tongue. And for us as followers of Jesus, the things that we say with our tongues can either spread our godliness or spread its opposite. We can be reflecting in the way we speak our new life, or we can be dragging ourselves down. And by our words, we can either build up or tear down those around us. And so it's, it's good to think carefully about how we're using our words uh, or how they're using us and their effect upon us. Well, uh, I'm uh, just going to meander through a few ideas and a few passages today. Uh, in terms of the outline, you may as well throw it out. Uh, I wasn't really organized, uh, organized enough to put down headings. Uh, but if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember we said that uh, God had big plans for our wardrobe. I don't know if you remember saying that. We had this little diagram that we went through. God has big plans for our wardrobe. He's changing us to be uh, as pure and as white as he is. And it's talked about as putting on new clothes. Uh, and, you know, every area of life uh, is like this, and the tongue is no different. Um, we need to be living out this new way of our new life. But there's a danger that the way we use our tongues can uh, kind of exhibit the, the old life, the kind of life that we were saved from, the dark way, Paul says in Ephesians 4.17. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, have a look at the Ephesians passage now. We had it read to us. If your fingers are still in it, that is good. Otherwise, turn there uh, and, uh, and we'll have a look what it says. Paul says, um, Ephesians 4 verse 17. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, of their thoughts. <laughs> they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. And so there is a, a, a dark and futile way of walking and talking that reflects those who do not know God. Verse 20 says, But that, it is, but that is not how you learn about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. And so there's another way, not the darkened way, the way that knows about the Messiah. If you've been taught by Jesus, you know another way. Uh, and Paul, again, like in Colossians 3 last week we were looking at, tells us of God's plan for our wardrobe, that we're to take off the old self and put on the new, to be renewed. So verse 22 says, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You took it off as followers of Jesus. It's interesting Paul reuses the clothing metaphor. I think when you come up with a really good way of explaining something, you just keep using it, don't you? Why? You don't need a new one. And so you, you get the same language a couple of times in different parts of the New Testament. You took it off. You've shed the old dirty stained garments. Uh, but it's the work of God in doing this. Notice verse 23. It says, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. See, that's God. God is doing it to us. We are being renewed. The spirit is changing us. To be a pure person, the, pure, the kind of person that God has declared us to be when he saved us in Christ. 
And so we put on this new self, we're to become a pure person, verse 24. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so there is the new person, a new person, a new creation made in God's pure, righteous likeness. Of course, life now, we still sin and we will continue. Unfortunately, we'll never fully put off sin until the new creation, until the end, uh, the very end of our diagram there. Uh, This life will always have that. But we, we look to live out the new life that God wants us to have and to be and that we will have at the end. But today we're going to zoom in on one particular part of the new person. We zoom in on their tongue. What does this person look like? We're going to analyze this person's tongue. We're going to zoom in even more, even more, because the tongue of the new person, uh, the born-again person, it's noticeably different. I don't know if you can see it there. It's very different. In fact, we're going to zoom right in even more than this. (laughs) If you zoom right in, you can see the person's tongue, it reflects this new life. As the person is reborn, so is their tongue. And if you look closely at the tongue, it becomes apparent whether the person is living the new life or the old. All right, that's enough. That's getting a bit gross. Paul in our passage uh, describes the new life, uh, and he, he goes straight to how we speak. He describes a new person, as we've read, and then he says, verse 25 of Ephesians 4, Since you put away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. I mean, obviously someone made like God can't be lying. Uh, Easier said than done, isn't it? But how unfitting, we can all see that, how unfitting to be a new person made in God's pure likeness and yet be lying. Much, Much better to just admit our mistakes and ask for forgiveness from our gracious God than lie. For those who know the truth, who are no longer... Uh, darkened, but have, have been shown the truth of Jesus' forgiveness, Paul says, we just need to bury the pride. We need to admit our faults. Don't lie and cover them up. It's a great vision for us. Next, we notice that he says that we, we speak the truth to one another. Do You see, he, he wants to help us to think about how we relate to one another because he's talking about us as members of God's church. We're all saved by Christ. We're called his body. He is the head. Um, so how could we lie to one another? Verse 29 continues thinking about the tongue, saying, No foul language is to come from your mouth. So here we have a kind of a what not to do. The bad of the tongue. Remember Aesop said the bad of the tongue. To lie, to have foul, uh, that is unwholesome language. That is the bad of the tongue. But now he gives us the good of the tongue, verse 29. Uh, So nothing foul, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. So we should only be saying things that build up, things that give grace. It's uh, it's so simple. That is is the sermon in a nutshell right there. We need to, to speak to build up, not to tear down. That is what the Bible says we need to be doing with our tongues. That is the rule. Build up, not tear down. And you know, as I look at our society, uh, and I think you look at the conversations that take place, say online or wherever else really, I think, I think our world's forgotten this idea almost entirely. It just doesn't seem to be in people's radars that their words can either build someone up or can be tearing them down, that their words can be showing people grace. 
Uh, I was joining an online forum the other day for a sewing machine forum on Facebook. And I don't know if you know now, but these, these forums online have got these lists of rules to try and keep all the speech gentle. Um, but as I read the list of rules, they weren't very gentle themselves. Uh, you know, so it said, if you personally attack a member, you're gone. If you decide to troll, you're gone. If you decide to post useless comments, you're out of here. You know, it's, it's like, oh. <laughs> um, it kind of, they, it's like they hadn't really shown grace to us, and yet they wanted us to show grace to them. And it, it reminded me of the New Testament's uh, reasoning. Uh, because the New Testament says to us, as those who have been forgiven, have been shown grace, now you forgive, now be gracious to other people. So much of our speech uh, online, uh, it's not really speech, it's not the tongue, it's really the keyboard that's the, that's the instrument, isn't it? The keyboard. And I, I won't go into a big rant about kind of online discourse and uh, how poor it is and all the, the people writing mean things on the internet. Um, just... There's so much tearing uh, people down, and it's sad to see the very real effects of that in our society. And the, the negative effect in society is clear, but as God's children, Ephesians reminds us of ungracious language and its effect on God. So have a look at verse 30. It says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. And so ungracious speech, it, it, grieves, it grieves all of us, but how much more God's spirit? And the idea of the image here of a grieving is like when a father who, who loves you but has to watch you do dumb stuff. You know, here's my new boyfriend. Ooh, like it's that kind of idea. And uh, my, my daughter's she's only one. Uh, she hasn't even had her first birthday yet, and I'm already dreading the guys that she might bring home. There's something weird about her dad. You can't help it. Um, and I've already started to point things out to her, and I'm like, to him, nah, you don't want that. That one, got a mullet, anything with a mullet is a no-go. You don't, that's, stay away from that. But the thing, the thing to notice about this image of the grieved father is that it assumes we have a loving father, doesn't it? It's not, we don't have to speak well to earn our father's love. No, no, we have a loving father. As those who have a loving father, how are we going to speak? Let's not... Let's not grieve him. Let's not disappoint him in the way that we use our tongue. Well, Paul, he gets very practical then in the next two verses. Uh, One with a what not to do, to put off, and then one of what to do and to put on. And they're worth considering together. So let me read verse 31. It says, All bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander, must be removed from you along with all malice. So remove these. And instead, verse 32, it says, We are to be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So one way tears down, the other builds up. And the game changer at the end is Christ's forgiveness. The end of verse 32, it says, This is what changes our speech, isn't it? You see, bitterness, uh, the bitterness of verse 31, bitterness, anger, and wrath, If we understand how Christ has acted for us, it's hard to be bitter. And people can still manage it. (laughs) But it's pretty hard when you really understand the love that we've been shown. Anger and wrath. Well, again, forgiveness is a game changer when it comes to anger and wrath. Um, We all get angry. That's when you see a great injustice, it makes us angry. That is is normal. That is okay. But it's kind of what you do with it. And if you stay angry... um, 
it's, it's a problem because you haven't really thought about what if God stayed angry at us. See, yes, injustice makes us frustrated and angry, but we need to think of how God has forgiven. Imagine if God stayed angry at us. He's forgiven us, and so we need to forgive. He has been incredibly merciful. We need to be merciful as well. And so there's really no, there's no place for someone that understands forgiveness to be angry at one another. And so forgiveness in Christ, it gives us reason to put away anger. That's the kind of logic that Ephesians has. The angry Christian is a terrible hypocrite. They have not understood their own sin and the way God has shown grace. It is interesting that earlier in verse 26 he says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity and so this is what I'm saying. It's almost like he acknowledges that the world makes us angry. The world can be a pretty frustrating place. The only thing that exceeds the world's capacity to be frustrating is our capacity to get frustrated at it. Like it, it can just be one thing after another some days. Uh, but the thing is, we're not to excuse ourselves and then get comfortable in our anger. Don't, don't sit in anger and kind of pull up a chair and build a house around it and make anger your life. Rather, Paul says... Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't, don't be content to remain angry. Sort it out. Work on it. It might take you a moment or it might take you a long time. I don't think saying before the sun goes down. It's not saying you have a maximum time limit of 24 hours. It's not literally that. But it's saying don't settle into it. Don't let it drag you down. Anger is not fitting of a new person like Christ. When I say that it's uh, not fitting, what do I mean? Well, it's interesting. Like, what is he saying? It's not fitting. Is it, is it just unfashionable? It's a bit daggy? Or is it, is it deadly? Verse 31 says, Shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. So what is the must be there? Do we, do we have to do this? Is it optional? Well, Scripture's got a lot to say about our tongues and, and the words that we say. Uh, and... It kind of says that the things that we say run pretty deep. And I'd like to go to uh, the book of James, chapter 3, and um, have a look at some of the things he says about the tongue there. Maybe someone if in the church Bibles can call out the number. James, chapter 3, uh, verse 5. And we'll, we'll pick it up there. James, chapter 3. It's kind of, if you go right to the back of the Bible, and then you go forward, it goes Revelation, and then you've got the little Johns and little Peters, and then you have James. Four ones. What are the chances of that? Four ones. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Um, James chapter 3. And we'll look at... It kind of speaks about the tongue in this section. So we'll think about that for a couple of minutes before we return to Ephesians. So James chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And so uh, James has just compared the tongue to a bit that's in a horse's mouth. You know, like the, the bit in the horse, you kind of put it in there and then you can kind of control them with the reins, steers the horse. Um, and then he compares the tongue to uh, the rudder of a ship. The, a bit like the steering wheel of a truck. Picture a huge, massive semi-trailer truck and the thing that steers it all is the little steering wheel. That's the kind of uh, image that you have there. Um, actually, I was, I was Googling pictures of trucks and steering wheels and... You can't make this stuff up, but I discovered that there is a trend in street racing for having quick-release steering wheels. So when you're driving down the street, you can 
pop your steering wheel off and hang it out, and then you can have the experience of driving the car with no steering wheel. I'm not making this up. Uh, I mean, and there's another picture, of course. What do you think is going to happen? It's only really going to end one way, is it? The point is you need a steering wheel. The point is the steering wheel is important. Um, I just thought I'd share that with you. But next, next James uh, compares the tongue uh, to lighting a match and kind of, kind of the fire spreading, maybe a bit like a bomb. The tongue is an incendiary device. Verse 5 says, Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole world, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. So it's a a warning. He's saying the tongue uh, can be a real problem. The tongue, it, it can ruin the whole rest of our body and then the whole life and eventually send the person to hell. What a terrible warning. We all know instances where our words have gotten us into trouble. And, and we're told here the new life, it's, it's not to be one where we let our words tear us, uh, bring us down, tear other people down. We all, we all know this experience of you kind of say something and wish you could undo it. I don't know if you know the expression, digging yourself a hole. Well, the hole that James has in mind is a grave, isn't it? It's your words are going to get you in such trouble. And so he's warning us. And the thing I want you to notice is that uh, James says that if we let ungracious speech into our lives, it's actually going to set our life on fire. It will corrupt us. It will destroy us. It's not just I say some dumb stuff sometimes and I'm cranky. No, it's actually really important here. It's going to cause a problem in our lives if we don't rein it in. So we need to take it seriously, to think carefully about how we use our words James says two other things that are worth noting before we go back to Ephesians, and the next is in verse 8. James says, um, the tongue is like a wild animal. Verse 8 says, every sea creature, reptile, bird or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. No one can tame the tongue. Uh, I don't know if you know, but lion taming has been banned now. This apparently was the last lion tamer in the UK. Uh, but I, I have seen people try and tame their dogs, and uh, people seem to manage that. But James says that we cannot tame the tongue. We cannot tame the tongue. Um, but, but he says, how can we possibly do it? We need wisdom from above. We need the Spirit, the Spirit's help. He, he says it in verse 17. He kind of follows this reasoning all the way down, and then... In 17, he kind of gives his answer. Verse 17 says, But wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, uh, compliant? I don't know why I'm struggling with that. I keep reading it wanting to say complaint. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to keep moving. Um, Full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. And so this is his answer. We need wisdom from above. We cannot tame the tongue but wisdom from above, with help from God's spirit, we can, with God's help. With, uh, and the wisdom from above is kind of like what Ephesians will be talking about. We know that we've been forgiven. This is a new way of thinking. It's, it's a whole other world that we enter into, the new life as followers of Jesus, and suddenly we can rein in our speech. Well, uh, let's turn uh, to Ephesians and tackle one or two of these little 
things, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So if, I hope you've still got your finger in Ephesians. Um, if not, turn back there, and we'll, we'll return to verse 32. Verse 32, remember, it reminded us to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. I mean, what else could we possibly be knowing that we have been forgiven? Uh, at verse 31, says, instead of malice, and malice is being mean-spirited or vicious, instead of malice, we're to be kind and gentle. We need to be a community that's kind and gentle. We need to be working, helping each other to do this together. It says shouting, uh, gossip, slander are to be removed. Um, how can we be those who look to, to slander, to, to take down our brothers and sisters? How can we tear down one another? That, that can't be who we are as Christ church. There's so many things we could say about all these incredible uh, lists of sins and virtues that we have here. Um, I don't, ironically, perhaps I don't have time to say them all. Uh, I, I, just picking a few helpful things, getting practical. Let, let's think about gossip and slander. Um, who doesn't love a bit of goss, right? This was a headline. David Beckham loses driver's license for six months after using his phone while driving. And you should have known better, uh, coming from a sport where you're not allowed to use your hands, driving like soccer, no hands, it's a handball. And I, I kind of love this photo as well. It's just like, in case you wanted to see him holding a phone, they put that there. So just so you can really picture this scandalous event in your head. Uh, <laughs> well, there's, a, there's an entire industry around gossip, all the magazines, you know, even things like the footy show. It's kind of, you listen to the speech that they have in them, there really is a lot of tearing down. Uh, and I'll leave you to think about celebrities and what a celebrity is and, you know, if it's reasonable that we read about them and all of that. Um, but when it comes to the people around us, the real people, if I could put it like that, uh, we need to think about how we're talking about them. Are we building them up or are we tearing them down? And gossip and slander are interesting ones because we speak about one another all the time, but our intent when we speak is what makes it gossip or slander. So um, if you heard that one of us here had lost our driver's license uh, and you told someone, what, why are you telling them? Why are you hearing? Is it to build up or tear down? Um, gossip tears down. We hear of their misfortune and we feel better about ourselves. Whereas encouragement builds up. We hear about their misfortune and we want to help them. We hear about them, we want to love them. Or we do love them and so we want to help them. The same words but a different heart changes whether it's gossip or actually a good thing. Of course we need to respect people's privacy. It's not always helpful to share everything that we hear. But gossip, it's, it really is uh, everywhere. You know, uh, often uh, people tell me they go to work and the, the gossip around the Christmas parties, it's, it's just you know, out of control sometimes. Uh, but we need to make sure that the church isn't a place like that, that let's make this a place where we're not kind of gossiping and, and ripping each other down slanderously. Let's make this a place where we're building people up, where we say, you know, oh, maybe I don't need to know that. Or we say... Oh, thank you for telling me. Let me pray for them. How can I help them? That's what the image of the body in Ephesians is. Well, if I could end, uh, just to return to Ephesians verse 29, 4 verse 29. It pictures uh, the community. It says halfway through verse 29, we say only what is good for building up so that it gives grace to those who hear. And... Uh, I think it's worth saying this idea of only giving grace in our conversations and building up, it doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. Um, it doesn't mean we, we kind of avoid anything that's difficult. 
No, we, we have a goal when we speak. We have a goal. It's not just to make people happy. We want to show them Christ-likeness. We want to help them to be godly. And so we may have to say something hard to help another person to see their sin so that we can uh, repent together and we can be putting on the new clothes bit by bit. But the thing to remember in every conversation is that we need to give grace. We have received grace and now we need to give grace. So every time you open your mouth, every time you go to open your mouth, be thinking, I need to be giving grace. I've been shown grace, I need to give grace. Test every word that comes out of your mouth. Is it building up or tearing down? I actually think for most of us here, what we need is not to say less, but say more. I think there's so much good that we can do with our tongues. There's so much good that we can show people so much grace with our tongues. We can strengthen and encourage so many people. We can point so many people to Jesus. We can show many followers of Jesus how to be godly. And so I encourage you, use your tongue. It's a great tool. Choose your words carefully, but use them generously to build up the body of Christ. Why don't I pray and ask for God's help as we do this. Heavenly Father, we need your help to tame our tongues. And so show us our need and give us your grace. And Father, forgive us when we, we say more than we should and we speak out of turn. Please forgive us, Lord. We know you will. And with your Spirit's power from above, help us to speak graciously to everyone. Fill us with the knowledge of our forgiveness in Christ and, and may, knowing we are forgiven, be fuel for our gentle speech. And Lord, use us to build up your church to show the people around us your love and kindness. Father, I pray that each of us here are a light to the world through how we speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.